Hi guys, welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. If you haven't subscribed to the show already, you know the drill. Go over to Apple Podcasts on your phone, click subscribe. Go to iTunes on your computer, click subscribe there too. On YouTube, you can find me at Liz Wheeler. Hit the bell on YouTube in addition to the subscribe button because if you hit the bell, then I can tell you when we have a new episode, when I have a new interview, when I have a new video for you. If you prefer Spotify, okay. Hit subscribe over there too, on Rumble too. We're on Rumble, we're everywhere that you could possibly want to be, including locals. If you wanna to go to lizwheelershow.com locals, you can get ad-free episodes over there. So I'm on vacation this week. So in lieu of a new episode talking about breaking news, I prepared a sit-down interview that I think you're gonna love. In fact, if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about the realignment that's happening in the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party. But, I, but I, I wanna focus today just on the realignment that's happening in the Republican Party, how the old right, you know, the, the Republicans of 15, 20 years ago, these big spenders who propagated the forever wars, who sure gave us tax cuts sometimes, which I appreciate, but did not have the courage or the stomach to fight the culture war, how that is being phased out of the Republican Party by you and I. You and I are part of the new right, or at least part of elements of the new right. We embrace elements of the new right. The new right understands how critically important the culture war is to fight and how if we don't fight the culture war, whether this is abortion, whether it's you know gay marriage, whether it's queer theory, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's parental rights, if we don't fight the culture war, then that leaves our governmental structure vulnerable. So a different way to phrase this realignment of the Republican Party, if we zoom out, it's actually a battle between the ideology of John Locke and the ideology of Edmund Burke. So John Locke was individual liberty-minded. He, he's very libertarian, right? It's if you aren't violating someone else's inherent right, the government shouldn't tell you what to do, you can do whatever you want. And this, this became very, very popular among Republican politicians and conservative, conservative voters as well for a long time until the new right began to realize that libertarianism, as great as it sounds, I mean, I once identified as more of a libertarian-leaning conservative, although not full libertarian. As great as it sounds, it's actually just a, a utopian idea. It doesn't work. And so Edmund Burke, Edmund Burke proposes this idea not of, um, not of absolute liberty, but of ordered liberty. And ordered liberty is actually what our nation was founded on. We weren't founded to be a libertarian nation. We were founded to be a nation for a moral people and not any other, as John Adams once said. And so I sat down and I talked with the chair of the Edmund Burke Foundation. It's Yoram Hozoni, who also puts on NatCon. All these interviews were at NatCon, as you know. We conducted dozens of interviews at NatCon, and it was totally fun with all the speakers. So I sat down and I talked to Yoram about the history of this, this um, philosophical battle between John Lockean ideas of liberty and Edmund Burkean ideas of liberty. And it's just as nerdy as it sounds, but it's really, really fascinating. It's really interesting to see the, to see what the new right is building themselves on, what the foundation of the new right is. Because if you don't understand the foundation, then sometimes political actions don't make a lot of sense or you can fall prey to the arguments from the other side, whether it's Democrats or whether it's arguments from the old right. But Yoram lays out specifically 
what the history of liberty is in our country and what the plan was, the founders and the framers, what plan they had for our country when it comes to what style of liberty we would embrace. I think you're really gonna enjoy this. Okay, I like genucel because people say puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> I have young children, I know that. Until now, introducing genucel plant stem cell therapy, specifically targeting eye puffiness and bags. Due to new technology, genucel is an incredibly powerful but natural serum. And with their instant effects product, it's guaranteed to show results in as little as 12 hours or you get your money back. That's a pretty good deal. Users saw results in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in just two weeks. That's why the Instant Effects is one of my favorite products. I like it. I think you will too. Genucel contains eight ingredients. This is how it works to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. Plus, Genucel uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve the longevity and the brilliant long-term results. So it's not one of the products that you put on. You look great. And an hour later, you are dull and baggy again. If you go to genucel.com slash Liz right now, you can try it risk-free. Say goodbye to puffiness and bags today. Order right now. If you use my special code, L-I-Z, you will get an instant 10% off your order. That's right. Genucel promises the best skincare, the best results, or your money back. Go to genucel.com slash Liz, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Liz. And if you use my promo code, Liz, you will get 10% off your order today. You'll be glad you did. Hello, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. We are here in Miami, Florida at NatCon 3. And I'm sitting here with the man who puts on this conference. He's the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation and author of Conservatism Rediscovered, Yoram Hazoni. Yoram, thank you for sitting down with me. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Of course, of course. So before we get into the Edmund Burke side of the conversation, which I am excited to talk about. I wanna just ask you about this conference. And my first question is, which panel has been your favorite this year? Oh, come on. That's like asking <laughs> you, you know, which of your children is your favorite? Look, I'll tell you, I think, I, I think there's a lot of important things happening here, but one really, really big thing is that uh, this year for the first time we have, we have two panels on Protestantism and two panels on Catholicism. And this reflects, I, I think, something that the media has not yet seen, but it's going to be very, very big. There's a, a, a very large shift going on in Christian America across denominations, young people, they want to fight. They can, they can see the Marxism coming and th they're sick and tired of being part of a system that's effectively creating an atheist America it's going to change everything. We haven't seen this kind of thing, you know, since the 1980s. And people forget Ronald Reagan was not put in office by libertarians. It was these big Christian revival that put Ronald Reagan in office. I think that's coming. Well, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of Christians throughout throughout the last 30 years have said, listen, what we're facing in our country right now isn't just Democrat versus Republican. It is a godlessness that has pervaded our whole culture. And it's not just a political solution that's prescribed or that needs to be prescribed. We need to have a spiritual revival. Do you see that happening? I, I think it's happening. Look, I, what I can't tell, I don't know if it's going to be big enough and I don't know if it's going to be fast enough. It, you know, this, this depends on, on the hearts of individuals, of communities across the country. But I, I do think what, what, what I feel is happening is that there's going to be a, a big, big force, a social force that's reacting 
not not just to the to the Marxism that's coming, but also to the to the liberalism that created this Marxism. And people saying we just need a, a different framework. And the the heart to that framework is that the Bible used to be the cornerstone of public life in America, and you know in in other countries. And it's been after World War II, it was wiped out. And I think it's coming back. I think I I think people just see there's no alternative anymore. And you can see that at this conference that that. The, the, the first really clear signs of new leadership, young leadership across different religious movements, they're stepping forward. They know if they don't do it, the country's gone. It's almost like a forest fire where in the carnage, new life, it, new life springs forth. This is maybe the result of a failed experiment in cultural atheism and the result is this this new growth. I, I hope you're correct. Uh, there's there's this conference is not centered on one denomination or one religion, but there are a lot of religious people here in um, talking about how traditionalism especially impacts national conservatism. So I do want to ask you to define that term because you've brought this term to the United States in a way that we haven't really seen before. A lot of people don't understand what it means. They say, oh, is it just nationalism? Is it Christian nationalism? Can you give us a definition of national conservatism? Well, look, First of all, national conservatism is kind of redundant. I mean, an Anglo-American conservatism, a traditional American conservatism or an English conservatism, it has the nation at the heart of it because because these are, these are biblical countries with with biblical political traditions. and and when when you when you read scripture, especially the Old Testament, you see that the nation in covenant with God, that that's that's the political center of 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 the political tradition that you know that these countries grow out of. So saying national conservatism, it's a little bit redundant. It's like saying you know family conservatism or religious conservatism. I mean, really, all of these things should be part of the the, the inheritance of Britain and of America and at the dead center. The reason we ended up using this term is because for at least 30 years, I'm talking about after Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher left the stage, the people who followed, they took the word conservatism and turned it into something that I think it really had never been before, which is like a conservatism means liberal globalism. It means liberal internationalism. It means like, like the neocons and the compassionate conservatives. Right, look, the, the neocons, but also also libertarians and classical liberals these are these are all variations on the idea that the only thing that's important is freedom and that that's the answer if you if, if you've got individual freedom you've got the answer for the whole globe for the whole world that's all people ever need and that dominated uh, you know what both in America and Britain that dominated what was called conservative politics for 30 years. Now, it's not conservative. All the young people keep saying to me, like, what did it conserve? And the answer is very, very little. Uh, so it's, it's not really conservatism because it, it, it's not focused on the life of conservation and transmission, neither in our private lives nor in our national lives. So when in, in you know, after the Brexit Trump thing, people started when people started saying, Look, we, this can't be our politics. Is having you know the, the liberalism for the whole world and sending armies out in order to impose liberal, liberalism on countries and and free trade is the answer to all problems. When when that 
it started to become clear that that just couldn't be, you know, the answer to political life. So those of us conservatives who wanted to say, look, we have to put the nation back, we decided to call it national conservatism. It, it, made, it, it made a clear break between the neoconservatives who are internationalists, who are globalists, and the people who are saying, look, America and other, other democratic countries, there's a, there is such a thing as a nation. It has interests. It has traditions. It, it, it has its own religious direction to, to, to God. A nation is an actual thing. And it's, it's strange that that was controversial. It's still controversial. I mean, you know, I, I, find, I, I don't think that Reagan or Thatcher would have thought that any of this is controversial, but people do. That, that's where we are. So national conservatism, the simplest way to think about it is in between the people who say the only thing that's important is individual liberty. On, they're kind of in the center of the political spectrum. And uh, on the far right, there's people who say, no, it's all about race. In between is where the vast majority of conservatives are. They don't think it's only about freedom. They certainly don't think it's all about race. They think that the nation is something important and precious. And uh, being part of the American nation, looking out for its interests, caring for its traditions, restoring what it used to be, that, that's a politics that they can support. Let me ask you a question. How did you sleep last night? If you answered this question, well, not so great, or eh, just okay, or please don't ask me, well, you're not alone. One out of every three Americans reports being sleep deprived and your sheets could be the problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. They're on my bed right now at my house. The wrong sheets can trap your body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. But there is a solution, cozy earth sheets. They are the softest, most luxurious and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud, which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows cozy earth sheets to breathe. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy Earth even offers a 100 offers a 100 night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out. If you're not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. But I think you will be. I am. Our audience can now save 35% on Cozy Earth bamboo bedding. 35%. That's a good deal. Just go to cozyearth.com/liz35. You have to hurry. This offer ends soon. That's cozyearth.com/liz35 cozyearth.com slash Liz35. What makes a population susceptible to libertarian libertarianism or a focus purely on liberty, but equating liberty with license? Right. Well, it's a good, good question. The, the, I, I think that liberalism, that it, it, its attraction is, it's in, is in its simplicity. Okay. I mean, it, it's kind of a dogmatic thing. It's kind of a fanatical thing, if you think about it, to say, I've got one principle, and that principle is going to answer like all of, all of our questions. Uh, it, it, a, a normal conservative view would be something much more like what you find in the preamble to the American Constitution. That was actually written by conservatives. And, and so it, it begins with, I mean, the, the, the first value that the, that the Federalists, when they put together the Constitution, the first value that they wanted was a more perfect union. And notice a more perfect union, is, that's not about individual liberty. It's, it, it's almost the opposite. It's about bringing people together with sufficient uh, unity and force so that they can achieve collective goals, national goals. 
So th there's that, there's peace, there's justice. There, there's seven different values in the, uh, in, in, in the preamble to the Constitution, seven different goals of government. And one of them is the blessings of liberty, but it's one of seven. In, in a traditional Anglo-American politics, there's many different aims of government. They need to be balanced in a way that, that is fruitful and productive for individuals, for families, and for the nation. That, that's the goal. But it, after World War II, I mean, I, I write this in, in, in my new book, that I think that after the two world wars, there was a, you know, a desperation, an exhaustion that led to a kind of utopianism. People said, we can't ever go through this again. And the answer that they came up with was this, this enlightenment liberalism, which is, it's like fanatically holding on to the principle of individual liberty and, and, and the equality of, in, of liberty for all individuals. Look, it did some important things. I mean, I, I, you know, we have to admire people who after the Second World War said, um, look, we, we just sacrificed hundreds of thousands of lives in order to fight racism. And we can't continue having Jim Crow in America. We have to find a way to, to end that. So that's an admirable thing. But the, the, the problem is that in order to, in, in, instead of passing, you know, passing laws that specifically said, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to end the persecution of black Americans. Instead of doing that, they came up with this super abstract theory that you know, everybody's perfectly equal, everybody's perfectly free, and the, 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 the courts and the justice system are going to, to create an equality. So, so it's not just blacks and whites. Men have to be perfectly equal to women, and Jews and Christians and atheists, they all have to be perfectly equal. And foreigners from different countries have to be equal, and they have to be equal to people who grew up in the United States. And, and then it just keeps going. So, so then you, you can't discriminate on the basis of age. You can't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. And people just keep inventing new ways to say, oh, look, I see an, I see an inequality. Let's take all of government and, and bring it to bear to, to try to force society to end that inequality. And when you, let me interject here, if I might. Yes. And no, no, I, I, I want to I want to qualify what you're saying or clarify what you're saying. When you're saying equality, you mean equal outcome, not equal protection of the law. Yeah, for sure. Look, equal protection of the law is is you know one of our most ancient and cherished values. It it, it it's in the Bible explicitly, and it, it it's handed down like as you know as the cornerstone of of of, of civilized law everywhere. But equality of outcome is a utopian fantasy. And the more dimensions that you add, like the more ways in which you say, oh, and also I want equality of outcome in that way and in that way and in this other way, what you're doing is you're, you, you begin with something that, that, that's a fantasy, you apply huge government force, and then you keep inventing additional ways to keep trying to force things. Look, it's, it, 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 it's just suicide to try to pursue that course. It also breeds authoritarianism because someone has to be the arbiter of the outcome, yeah. which means that that person gets to determine who wins and who loses. And that's the same as authoritarianism. Yeah. So you're uniquely qualified to answer this question. And this is a more philosophical. <laughs> I mean, you are the chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation. OK, so it, it is very fashionable um, to be a libertarian. It's very fashionable to philosophically align yourself with John Locke versus Edmund Burke. But if you look at the history of the founding of our nation, those who 
would align themselves with John Locke, say, well, our founding fathers, particularly Thomas Jefferson, was very Lockean in his philosophy. Was our nation founded on the philosophy of John Locke or on the philosophy of Edmund Burke? Oh, gosh, you got to read my book. That, that, <laughs> I have no, read your book. <laughs> okay. Oh, all right. So that, oh, that's why you're asking me. Yes. All right. Okay. So I'll do a little book report here. But this is only the beginning of the book. It's not the middle. Or th there's other good stuff in the book. Look, John, if we think about, let's make it really simple. A liberal is somebody who thinks that the basis of politics, the way to look at the political world, is individuals should be free. They should have liberties. That's the issue. A conservative is somebody who begins in a different place. We, we also treasure and cherish liberty, but we begin in a different place. We begin with the question of if our, our nation is going to be conserved, if it's going to, to continue on for generations, for hundreds of years, what would we need to do in order to be able to transmit and conserve the things that, that are important to us over generations? If you start there, you, 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 very end, you very quickly end up with a very different politics. So you see this in the American founding where um, Jefferson and Tom Paine, they, they're radicals. They, I mean, they, they were very sympathetic to the French Revolution, but their, their ideas are ideas that sound kind of you know familiar to Americans. The the basic Jefferson Tom Paine idea is just that that you you need individual liberty, you need equality of liberties, and that's basically what you need. What about transmitting across generations? Jefferson's famous for saying you know repeatedly that every generation is a foreign country to the previous generation. Like we don't owe the past anything. We have no duties to, to, to our forefathers. We have no duties to, to future generations. As, as you know, the conservatives, that's, you know, they think that's crazy. Conservatives think, well, everything we have is from our forefathers. And, and what are we re living for? I mean, we're mortal. We're all going to die, but we, we want to leave something for our descendants. And that, that's what motivates us. You know, our, and that's in the preamble too, is, is for ourselves and our posterity. And so um, the, the, there's kind of an optical illusion with the American Revolution because it, it goes in stages. I like Nutrafol because it's natural and it works. You might wonder how I get such thick, beautiful, shiny hair. Well, let me tell you, if you are struggling with hair loss or you want a fuller head of hair, there is a, a holistic solution for you, for men and for women, that promote both healthier hair and whole body wellness. This is without drugs or prescriptions, which is one of the many reasons I like it. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth thickness and visible scalp coverage without compromise. And by compromise, we all know what I'm talking about. I'm not really one to use euphemisms here. You won't feel a decrease in your sex drive, which is what happens with a lot of similar supplements. Nutrafol is comprised of 21 potent natural ingredients that actually support sex drive, support better sleep and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months, which means that you can grow thicker, healthier hair and you can support our show win-win by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, Liz. If you use my promo code, you will save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's available only to U.S. customers and for a limited time. Plus, of course, you will get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. 1776 is sort of the moment in which 
uh, Jeffersonian rationalism was at the peak of, of its influence. And then there's, you know, there's the Revolutionary War. And in practice, Washington and, and, uh, and his officers and a, a lot of the lawyers who were, you know, in, in, uh, the, in the cities who were trying to help, help create this army and this government, they got to see in real life that, you know, the Articles of the Confederation, which is like this super rationalist, super model, uh, uh, super rationalist, super modern constitution, uh, which looks a little bit like, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the assembly and the French Revolution, the National Very John Lockean. Yeah, no, it, right. It, the, the actual guy's name was Turgot. Turgot was, was, is kind of like a more, more updated French, French Lockean. And he, and it's it's his theory that there should not there shouldn't be multiple branches of government because that's irrational. That you know there there should there there shouldn't there, there should be one house and it should have both executive and and legislative. You, you understand? It, it's like can you imagine? <laughs> well, you can imagine it because that's what the Articles of the Confederation were. It's also what the French Revolution was. By the way, they, they also tried this in in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania had like kind of a French Revolutionary government beginning in 1777, and it was complete chaos. I mean, there was violence in the streets. There, were, I mean, it it was crazy. So there's there's different people trying this this rationalist philosophy and trying to implement it in America. And when Washington and, and, you know, and, and his officers and his allies and in like John Jay, Hamilton, when, when they got to see, you know, this government, it, 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 you know, in theory, it's democratic. Everybody needs to agree in order to do everything. Or I don't remember, it was, it was nine out of 13, but basically you need to get consensus to do anything. That's like the rational ideas. Well, we're all reasonable people and we'll reason together and we'll come to a consensus and then we'll just know what to do. And Washington looks at this and he says, you can't you can't raise troops. You can't raise taxes to pay the troops. The, my, my soldiers are actually starving. You can't you, you can't raise the money to arm them. People don't aren't aware of this, that that. Washington to move his army to Yorktown, you know, to win the Revolutionary War. It, it, people were giving private donations. They were writing private checks. There, there was no money from the national American government that had been based on these rationalist principles. Very early on, Washington begins circulating these letters to people saying, we, we have to have a strong government like the one that the British have. We have a model of, of what strong government looks like. And, and if we don't have that, then our country is not going to exist. It's, it's not going to survive a few years. And that's the view that 11 years after 1776 comes to the, the, the writing and the ratification of the American Constitution, which is a restoration of much of the English Constitution. And, and that's the disagreement between liberals and conservatives at the American founding is that the conservatives are saying, your rationalist stuff, it doesn't work in real life. It's a dream. It's nice. It doesn't work. What works is what they've got in England. And uh, Mar Martha Himmelfarb, the, you know, the, the great conservative historian, uh, she, she once told me and some friends, she said that the, uh, the real sign of God's providence during the American Revolution was that at the time when when it came time to write the Constitution, 
both Jefferson and Payne were in France taking care <laughs> of that revolution. And so, so the conservatives were able to write this wonderful constitution that America has. And I think we see, and by the way, everyone should get your book and read because that is fascinating and you expand on that even more in your book. But we're seeing just a tiny drop in the bucket of that same thing play out in our country now where we had embraced this libertarian idea and we see that what does it beget? It begets the other side instilling their values in our culture instead of our values. You can't have an absence of values in a nation. It simply doesn't work. And youth in the conservative movement especially are starting to reclaim this idea of ordered liberty as as described by Edmund Bergjorn. Thank you for sitting down with me. I really appreciate sure. it. This, I'm having such a good co- time at this conference. Thank you for having me. Okay, bring everybody next year. We'll do it bigger Definitely. and better. You heard him. Yeah. Obey the man. Come to <laughs> come to NatCon 4 next year. If you want exclusive early access to interviews just like this one, you can join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code, which is access, you can watch for free for the first month of your annual subscription, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. 